This week's podcast is sponsored by Blinkist. Okay, before I jump in here, let me just say that I have it, my husband has it, even my cute old dad in Canada is using it. And I mean, we're all legitimately using it. So Blinkist is a book summarizing subscription service that allows you to read or listen to key insights from best-selling nonfiction books in around 15 minutes. With all the books I have floating around, who knows when I'll actually have the time to read them. Blinkist not only summarizes them in audio form, but also gives a text summary, which you can highlight and build notes right on your phone to follow up with later. And when you're listening, they say things like, hey, here's the key message for this chapter. Here's the takeaway. So it's incredibly helpful. My husband, who has a knack for diving into topics he knows nothing about but feels like he should, just listened to The Promise of Bitcoin by Bobby C. Lee. No joke, 15 minutes later, he was like, uh, everyone's been trying to explain this to me for years and I finally get it. He searched for a topic he wanted to know more about and now he feels like he's unlocked some sort of cheat sheet of knowledge. My only complaint is now he won't shut up about Bitcoin. He followed that up with How to Think More Effectively, which he found on Blinkist's 22 Powerful Ideas for 2022, which is a curated collection of top books to inspire us as we go into the new year. Honestly, this app rocks. Blinkist has over 5,000 audio titles. They even have a podcast summary element they call Shortcasts that's based on the profile you fill out when you sign up, and they populate your account with books and episodes they think you might like. I'm telling you, my whole family is quickly becoming obsessed. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl and start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. Blinkist is perfect for busy, curious people who just run out of time to read or even people who wish they could read but just aren't that into reading. You get the key ideas from best-selling nonfiction in literally minutes, not hours. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl. I promise you will not be disappointed. The Politics Girl podcast has a new sponsor, Sunbasket. Oh my God. If I have to think about one more thing to make for dinner, I'm going to lose my mind. And to be clear, it's not so much the making it, it's the thinking of it. The planning and the shopping and the making sure it's somewhat healthy. And it happens every single day. Like people keep wanting dinner. It's never ending. Well, enter Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy meals using organic produce and sustainable seafood and meats. So you don't end up on the hook to shop and cook and try and keep healthy all by yourself. Seriously, I barely have time to shovel some crackers into my mouth, let alone eat a whole meal. But this puts the whole thing on autopilot with easy prep meal kits for lunch and dinner, quick healthy snacks, or grab and go breakfast for busy mornings. It feels like you're hacking the whole system. With new recipes from award-winning chefs to keep things interesting, whether you eat vegetarian, paleo, gluten-free, low-carb, high-protein, Sunbasket has something to check every box. Set up weekly deliveries, skip a week if you need to. It's simple and easy, and let me tell you, we can all use a little more simple and easy these days. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $90 off and a free gift when you sign up. So go to sunbasket.com slash politicsgirl and enter the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. That's S-U-N-B-A-S-K-E-T dot com slash politicsgirl and enter promo code politicsgirl. Sunbasket. It's like having someone else think for you so you can feed yourself. And I'm deeply grateful to have one less thing on my plate. No pun intended. Pun intended. What is wrong with Tucker Carlson? The booster doesn't work? Use Viagra for COVID? First of all, dude, you're boosted. So telling people not to be is sick. And yes, Viagra can be very helpful for lung disorders, but it's not better than the vaccine. The goal would be to not need the experimental treatment in the first place because you didn't get COVID or sick enough to need treatment. Honestly, these guys are such irresponsible assholes.
and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. We're at a crossroads in America, and I'm not being dramatic when I say our democracy is on the line. This is a dangerous time in our country's history, but handled properly, which we have yet to do, it could also be a tremendous time for growth and evolution. As bad as this could be, and it could be really bad, with the right pressure in the right direction, this could also be the moment where we finally change the course of our nation for the better, and quite frankly, that's what I'm aiming for. In one of my rants, I made reference to us being like frogs in the pot. You put frogs into a pot of cold water, and they just swim around happily, and then you slowly heat up the water, and they don't notice. And eventually they boil to death, but they never saw it coming, so they didn't try and save themselves. That is what's happening with American democracy. And I'm telling you this not to upset you, but to help you understand, because only with understanding can we move forward and do something about it. Now, reality, when it sets in, like those froggies in the pot, is going to feel hot and scary, but that means we are also ready to be proactive. True awareness is the catalyst most of us need to work together to get this pot off the stove. We need to put enough pressure in one direction that we tip it over. We can't allow democracy to die simply because we were too complacent to fix it. We buried our heads in the sand or we blindly trusted the powers that be to take care of us. It is not going to get better if we don't do something. And half the powers that be are doing this to us. We have to be clear-eyed. We have to see what's happening and we have to learn from what history shows us. Much of what we've seen in politics lately is disturbing. We've seen a rising tide of populism around the world and a growing amount of bad leaders and bad policies at home and abroad. In many ways, it's as if we've forgotten why democracy is even important. Democracy, just so we're all on the same page, was coined in the 5th century BC to define the political systems of the Greek city-states. It is defined as rule by the people, from the Greek demokratia, which is demos, people, and kratos, rule. It is the form of government in which the people have the authority to deliberate and decide legislation, a direct democracy, or choose governing officials to do it for them, a representative democracy. And to that guy who's listening to me right now going, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Stop it. That is just a right-wing talking point, buzzword, contrarian position that holds no actual weight. America is a republic. But more specifically, America is a constitutional republic. And a constitutional republic is a form of democracy. So when I say America is a democracy and you say it's a republic, that's like me saying, hey, that looks like a good sandwich. And you're like, it's not a sandwich, it's a hoagie. Yeah, that's a type of sandwich. Republic comes from the Latin word res publica, which means public affair, and is a form of government in which the country is considered a public matter and not a private concern or property of the rulers. The primary positions of power in a republic are attained through a democracy, a mix of democracy with oligarchy, or an autocracy. Now, we can have a discussion about how much oligarchy is sneaking into American politics or how much the Republican Party is leaning towards autocracy, and we will. But in the context of U.S. constitutional law, the definition of republic refers specifically to a form of government in which elected officials represent the citizens and exercise their power according to the rule of law under the Constitution. So in other words, a democracy. By the people, for the people where the form of government is theoretically set up to represent the will of the people and not the will of the rulers. But democracy is more than just getting a vote or being ruled by the majority. The philosopher Bernard-Henri Lévy argues democracy is a style of behavior, of consent, of values, of a certain way of engaging in public debate, a certain way of believing in truth. 
Corey Shockey, the Director of Foreign Affairs and Defense Policy at the American Enterprise Institute, defines democracy as the building of a civil society, a society with free media, civic tolerance, institutions of government that are able to buffer bad decisions, a consensual relationship of accountability where we agree on how laws will be passed and how we will enforce those laws. Shaki says that when the Founding Fathers wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident in the Declaration of Independence, she believes it meant that the people have these rights innately and we loan them to the government on our behalf. She does point out, however, that while most people believe this when they're talking about themselves, they kind of forget it when they're talking about others. Ultimately, democracy is about consent and accountability and the grand idea that the people control the government and the government doesn't control the people. There's an old Winston Churchill quote that says, no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. In fact, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms that have been tried. The theory of democracy is although it can be corrupted for individual means, democracy always gets the chance to correct itself. The old adage of throw the bums out, that the will and wisdom of the people always has the chance to be reasserted. But what if that theory fails? Can the people make a choice that is not only so bad, but damages democracy so much in the process that it can't make the necessary corrections and rule by the people gets lost? That's the question we have to ask ourselves now. Are people just fed up with democracy? Are they willing to give away their power to populists who promise to give them everything they want, hate who they hate, and make everything better despite the fact that they don't actually have the power to do that? And are the rest of us just going to allow that to happen because it just seems like too much work to stop it? Polls tell us that while over two-thirds of Americans born in the 1930s and 40s say living in a democracy is essential, less than one-third of people born after 1980 answer the same way. Yasha Monk, a lecturer at Harvard and a contributor to The Atlantic, author of The People vs. Democracy, Why Freedom is in Danger and How to Save It, points out that this isn't just happening in America. That in France and the UK, where one in four people used to say they were open to a strongman leader who wouldn't have to deal with parliament or elections, now one in two are open to it. The world in general is just more open to autocracy. More people feel a loss of control, so they're driven towards somebody who offers control. And far-right parties and populists are capitalizing on this sentiment all around the world. It's not abstract. You can see the numbers reflected in real-world elections. And these populists, even if they aren't in power, are a danger to democracy. Populism works under the logic that politics is simple. Populists claim that their opponents care about the wrong people over the right people. They believe it's just about priorities, and they promise everything. They're going to fix everything. And then when they get in power, they say things like, who knew healthcare could be so complicated? Who knew separating from the EU could be so difficult? But instead of being like, holy shit, this is a major learning curve. I got to do some work. They turn and they blame. They blame their opponents. They blame the institutions. They blame the press, minorities, the courts, whoever. The problem is, once someone in power starts to do that, democracy is in danger because the leaders will start messing with the system to get the results they want. They don't work within the system. They demand the system change to work for them. Look at Brexit. It was decided on a democratic vote. But the election itself was perpetrated by lies. Nigel Farage came out after and said, of course I lied. Boris Johnson was one of the perpetrators of that lie, and he is now Prime Minister of the UK. They'll both tell you they said what they needed to say to win. Sure, it wasn't true. But the consequences of that vote are something everyone now has to live with. 
the majority of people in the UK wanted to stay part of the EU. But everyone just figured that since that was the majority sentiment, that side would win. And they didn't need to bother to vote. They grossly underestimated the power of anger and hate to motivate. And they lost because of it. And now they're living with the real-world consequences of their apathy. That's what's happening in America. The Trump supporters, MAGA, even old-school Republicans are not the majority of this country. Look at the popular vote. Democratic and liberal values have won the popular vote in the last seven out of eight presidential elections. And yet, because the system itself is rigged for the Republicans, with the red states holding an outsized amount of power in the Senate and the Electoral College, Democrats have to get so many more people to vote just to win, despite being the majority sentiment in the country. Add voter apathy and the passion and vitriol the GOP is currently inspiring in the right wing to destroy Democrats like they're an enemy and not just a political adversary, and we could end up destroying the country as we know it if we don't take active steps to rectify what's going on. Trump and the Republican Party are testing the American constitutional system, and it's a test we cannot fail. I think the original vote for Trump was a bit of a protest vote a way of sticking it to who Clive Crook, columnist for Bloomberg, calls the incompetent and out-of-touch political class. But it's gone way beyond that now. People love this us-and-them mentality. They love the rallies and the camaraderie and the hating of the same people. They love the violence and the superiority they feel from being part of a group. They love not playing by the rules, and they love that their leaders don't play by the rules. Crook says, Donald Trump and Brexit are great examples of democracy's self-destructive instincts. He points out that democracy and the rule of law don't save us from bad choices. They don't prevent mistakes. But if we hold up democratic institutions and values, the power remains in our hands to correct those mistakes. The problem, as Bernard-Henri Lévy says, is that democracies appear to be tired. They even appear to be tired of themselves. Sometimes, when you've had something for a long time, you start to take it for granted. Think of America and democracy as a couple in a long-term marriage. We've been together forever. We're kind of used to each other. And, you know, we just kind of figured democracy would always be there, so we didn't need to pay much attention to it. It happens. People get that. But we also understand that when you neglect a relationship, when you stop putting in the work to hold on to it, to keep it fresh, that's when you can lose it. I mean, the Constitution has always been referred to as a living document. The Founding Fathers knew times would change and things would have to change with them. But the last time we actually amended the Constitution was 30 years ago. And that was to finally ratify an amendment from 1789 about congressional pay periods, so not like groundbreaking stuff. The last really big change we made was in 1971, when we amended the Constitution to make the voting age 18. But since then, we've kind of been like, well, whatever, it's fine. We don't always fill out the census. We didn't really pay attention when the Federalist Society stacked our courts with right-wing justices. We didn't get up in arms when our districts were redrawn in favor of one party over another. We didn't really notice when lobbyists started writing our laws or big money started taking over our elections. We took our eye off the ball and we let the relationship slide. I mean, most people don't even vote in every election. One third of the country doesn't vote at all which has allowed a very specific group of people with influence and money an outsized amount of power. While people were busy living in a democratic country but not paying attention to the democratic government, some very powerful people were passing laws and instilling leaders to make sure the country was working best for them. And the less we paid attention, the more they got accomplished. Now we find ourselves frustrated, asking how come nothing gets done? Why doesn't the government help us? Why are things like this? Well, they're like this because we took democracy for granted, and like anything you stop paying attention to, democracy suffered because of it. Our government is not really by the people for the people anymore. 
It's more like by the people who were paying attention for the people in power. And it's not working. People are cruising through life assuming American democracy is a given, but it's not. With the amount of dark money flowing through our system right now, the foreign entities buying influence in our elections and sowing distrust amongst our people, with over 450 new voter suppression laws slated to come into effect before the next election, and with the Republican senators filibustering any attempt to pass voter protections, we have to acknowledge that our democracy is actually in pretty grave danger. That it's something that can, and if we don't do anything about it, will be taken away from us. We let it get bad. And now we have to do some major damage control. We need a rejuvenation of the democratic society. We need to do the work to make it better. People getting elected now can cause real harm because democracy is not just about the vote. It's about a culture and set of attitudes and behaviors that many of our modern politicians are dishonoring. And that's having a real impact on how we feel about democracy itself. We're in a tumultuous time in human history. The world is changing so fast because of technology and globalization, and that is creating a sense of anxiety for people about the longevity of their jobs, the stability of the social order, about the way things have always worked and how they're going to work in the future, and that's putting a lot of pressure on our systems, systems that were created for a different time and a different era. A lot of people in America are angry at the political system that is perceived to be letting them down, and that's not a completely false assessment. As Yasha Monk points out, the standard of living for the average American has stagnated. From 1945 to 1960, it doubled. From 1960 to 1985, it doubled again. But from 1985 to now, it has flatlined. Capitalism has become an unfettered and seemingly unchecked burden on the American people. Only a select few in our country appear to be truly prospering. And those people have an outsized and growing influence on our government and its laws, and people are justifiably pissed off about that. We're also a country that was founded with a strict racial hierarchy that is attempting to evolve into a working multiracial democracy. And there is a fair amount of people, because of their education or family or just straight-up bigotry and racism, who are fighting against that. The demographics of the Western world are changing due to immigration policies and geopolitics, and that makes some people feel uncomfortable and scared and defensive. And whether they are right or wrong is irrelevant. Their feelings are dictating their votes. And if we don't start solving some of these problems, we'll only have more protest votes or more apathy. And either one leaves the door open for an alternative to democracy to take over. Governments don't just stay democratic. It doesn't take the majority of the population to change the system of politics. In fact, history shows us that it often just takes a determined and well-organized minority who think their ideas are better and go for it. Republican leadership understands this moment. Quite frankly, they've played a big part in bringing us to this moment. Democrats might have taken democracy for granted, but Republicans have kicked it out of bed. After Obama was elected, and the Democrats had control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate, the Republican Party had a come-to-Jesus moment, and they conducted sweeping audits and research into their party's potential moving forward. They did a super deep dive into their base, their potential voters, the popularity of their positions and policies, and they realized that if they didn't start changing or reaching out to new voters, they would only continue to lose. There was talk about changing party positions and policies on certain things so they could be more appealing to young people and minorities. They considered reaching across the aisle more and embracing more popular-leaning socioeconomic viewpoints. But when it came right down to it, they couldn't pull the trigger. They couldn't commit to that kind of change, and frankly, the people who wrote their checks wouldn't allow it. Ultimately, they decided against reaching out and chose instead to look in 
to double down on the Christian nativist rhetoric, to the, these people are your problem, finger pointing grievances and traditional values, which if we're being honest, really just means keeping women and the other in their place, while the white man, particularly for the Republican party, the rich white man remains on top. We have some deep problems in our country and our political system is failing to address them. As Monk says, we can't assume just because democracy was stable in the past, it will be stable in the future. Ancient Athens lived for 200 years. The Roman Republic lived for 500 years. And the Republic of Venice ruled its domain for over a thousand years. Nobody thought those wonderful governments would die, and yet that is exactly what happened. We can't underestimate the capacity for any kind of regime, including a democratic regime, to die. Henri Lévy reminds us that beyond the political parties, beyond the decay that Trump brought and the Republican Party continues to inflict on our democratic institutions, we are also living through a time that is not particularly favorable to democracies. The internet, for example. The social networks that started with the democratic belief that everybody has the right to express their opinions has morphed into the undemocratic belief that every opinion has the same value as another. This idea that both sides get equal weight Racist and anti-racist are not good or bad. They're just two sides. This is what allowed Donald Trump to get away with saying things like, there were good people on both sides in Charlottesville. It's what's causing our country so much trouble with the anti-vax or anti-mask sentiment. We are moving beyond discernible truth. And without truth, there can be no commonality, no unity, and no coming together. It is, as Henri Lévy says, the very corrosion of the democratic spirit itself. Okay, that seems like a good place for a palate cleanser to take a breather and talk about my own corrosion of spirit, cleaning my house. So my one big splurge over the past decade has been a cleaning lady. I am a god-awful useless house cleaner, and it doesn't matter how helpful my husband is, ultimately I end up feeling like I do most of it myself. And I feel put upon and annoyed, and every time I clean a bathroom that doesn't belong to me, I want to punch someone in the face. So I pay a cleaning lady to save my marriage and make me a little bit less of a salty bitch. However, with the coronavirus, I have not been able to allow anyone into my home. So that means house cleaning has come back to me. And yes, to my husband. But I feel like the burden mostly falls on me. After all, I'm the one who gets most upset if the house is not clean. So over the course of the year, I have taught my 13-year-old how to clean, how to dust, how to vacuum, how to move things and dust instead of just going around them, how to clean a bathroom and a kitchen. And last week for the first time, I let him do it all by himself. Yes, I pay him. No, I don't pay him as much as my cleaning lady because he does about half as good a job. But it's a job that I pay for, so unlike emptying the dishwasher or making his bed, he is compensated. And it was amazing. First of all, he was off video games and he was doing something other than that wildly clicking of his fingers. The house looks way better than it did. He's thrilled to have some extra money and he only broke one picture frame. He actually broke three picture frames this week, but apparently that's because he doesn't know where his body is in space and he keeps smashing into walls. But the bathrooms look great and I haven't murdered anyone, so it's all a win. The thing is, sometimes we have to adjust. How we plan for things to go gets disrupted. We have to find a new way of accomplishing an old thing. We might not love it, we might not want to do it, but we can always learn something new. We can adjust. And that's what America has to do now. We've let someone else do the job of dealing with our democracy for so long, and now we need to put in the work ourselves. We need to learn the new skills, to understand what it takes to do something right, and to clean up the house we live in. Sure, we might lose a few picture frames along the way, but those can be replaced. It's a lot better than living in the filth that we have made. Today's pod is brought to you by Wondrium. Okay, look, I'm a flippin' nerd. 
I know that. But learning new things is totally cool. Saying, you know what? I want to know more about this or this or this. It makes you way more interesting when you're out in the world and people are like, oh, what are you up to? And you're like, oh, I just took a course on Norse mythology or I'm relearning French. I just watched a great documentary about understanding and overcoming fear. Not only are you more interesting to other people, you're ultimately more interesting to yourself. People get stuck in their ways. People plateau. Don't plateau. Keep going. Ask more of yourself. What are you passionate about? What could you learn? What do you wish you could learn? What do you wish you were better at? I would love to get better at French. I used to be fluent, but now I speak like a child. But I can relearn that, and Wondrium can help. I use Wondrium for research, for background context, for historical knowledge. It never lets me down. It's a library of content that legitimately covers just about every subject, from science and history to music and language, and on and on and on. It's like the Netflix of learning. The Politics Girl motto has always been, know, grow, change. Because knowledge expands our minds, and expanded minds are open to change. Wondrium fits right into that for me. So head over to wondrium.com and learn something new. Challenge yourself, or just let them remind you of something you want to remember. Right now, listeners of the pod will get a special 22-day free trial to celebrate the new year. Sign up at wondrium.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash politicsgirl. And get your nerd on. There's enough dullards out there. Let's not be one of them. And we're back and talking about how democracy is taking a forever dirt nap if we don't rescue it from our own negligence. Look, democracy is difficult. It's not the easiest way to function. Bureaucracy is slow and annoying. Our government was designed by people who were trying to avoid large concentrations of power in the hands of a small amount of people. Things take a long time because they wanted us to have to find consensus. They wanted us to have to compromise, to have to work together. They were trying to create the opposite of a monarchy, and they put in a million checks and balances to avoid an autocracy. But checks and balances only work if all parts of the government have a common purpose in mind. The Founding Fathers talked a lot about the common good. But if one whole party is not working towards the common good, what do we do? Look at the Senate filibuster. The Democratic House keeps passing bills that represent the will of the majority. Bills that, no matter what your politics, would unquestionably benefit the majority of the country, like paid family leave or expanded Medicare for hearing aids and dental. And yet the Republican members of the Senate, who represent 41 million less Americans than the Democratic majority, are able to stop every single one of those bills from passing. And they're using that process to stop the Democrats from protecting our right to vote so that they can regain and retain power by undemocratic means. Democracy is in trouble. Yasha Monk reminds us that this is a lot like what happened in Latin America. Many countries had a similar system to the U.S., but the two sides got more and more polarized until nothing was ever getting accomplished. One side would get elected and then be blocked by the other. Then they would lose power for not getting anything done, and the other side would get elected. But then they would be blocked from doing anything. And it went back and forth and back and forth until a strongman leader came in and said, let me take care of this for you. I'll fix it. I'll get things done. Forget these institutions and these politicians. They're useless. Give the power to me. And then all of a sudden, you have a dictatorship. Look at Poland. The current government basically came into power on a populist wave, promising to get rid of some minimal charge when you went to the doctor. But once they were in power, they undermined the Supreme Court by stacking it with their own judges, undermined the media by basically making it an all-state propaganda. They have undermined the opposition to protest their policies, and now a lot of people in Poland are saying like, oh boy, maybe we made a mistake. 
But once you've allowed this type of government in the door, it is very hard to get them out again. Hungary is finding out the exact same thing as their democracy continues to backslide under Viktor Orban. Orban, who, by the way, was just given the full and complete support of Donald J. Trump, has overhauled Hungary's constitution to favor his own power, rewritten election laws to favor his own party, changed school textbooks to describe him and his party favorably, and made the free press all but illegal. FYI, Hungary is also where CPAC is having their next conference. So take from that what you will. Henri Lévy reminds us that 30 years ago, we thought Poland and Hungary were happily joining us in the circle of Western democracies. But after a few decades, not everybody was happy with that choice. Over time, they allowed themselves to devolve into something a little bit different. Yes, they still have elections, but they're no longer democracies in the grander sense of the word, because their societies have pushed so much more towards authoritarian. They have the body of democracy, but not the spirit. And it can happen anywhere. We once thought Germany was, as Henri Lévy said, completely vaccinated against the return of any type of authoritarianism because of its past. But the people who are rising up in Germany right now show us that is not true. France is considered the fatherland of human rights, but its population, like America, has a rising far-right and far-left movement. Brexit wasn't so much a protest vote against being part of the EU as it was against the other coming in and diluting the population. And in America... Donald Trump's vote was for stopping what some considered a changing way of life. Monk points out that it's not always obvious when democracy is under attack. There's not a million glaring signs saying like, hey, look, they're taking over democracy. That's not what happened in Hungary or Poland or even Venezuela. Democracy was just eroded piece by piece until one day it was gone. We can't be complacent about how these things can deteriorate. We can't just assume democracy is a given or the rule of law or liberal values will ultimately be deferred to. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We can't forget that our politicians work for us and not the other way around. We need to insist that our laws and traditions are upheld and we protect the rules that protect our vote because our vote is our voice. And without it, we can't get rid of those we have judged to have failed. We can't throw the bums out. Mitch McConnell is the most powerful Republican in Congress. He's been in office for 37 years, yet his state has one of the highest poverty rates, the highest unemployment rates, and is ranked ninth from the bottom in overall state economy. Why is he still in office? He clearly is not serving his constituents. That's why it shouldn't matter what party you belong to or what your politics are. Everyone should be against gerrymandering and voter suppression and state legislatures throwing out our votes. Right now, you might see it as good because your side will win. But if your opponent's votes don't count, you have to ask yourself, how long until yours doesn't? If you put politicians in power that don't care about the will of the people, once they have power, why would they care about you? There are legitimate reasons to be frustrated with our government. There are legitimate reasons to be pissed off at the way things are going. But that doesn't mean we should abandon the one form of government that could give us the power to change the things that need to be changed. We need to redouble our efforts and shore up this wonderfully flawed system we have been given. We need to put in the time and the energy and the passion to protect that which people all over the world are fighting and dying to have. There are so many people who dream of the ability to choose their leaders and replace their leaders, who dream of democracy and want to be in our club. We owe it to them and to ourselves to not be so ungrateful that we let this amazing experiment die because it felt hard or we were too busy. We can all recognize the ridiculous excesses in our government, 
But that doesn't mean democracy doesn't work. It just means we need to work harder on it. Young people might say they don't care if they live in a democracy or not. Unhappy people might say they're willing to try a different kind of government. But for all the talk of leftists being socialists or communists, that is not the alternative form of government America has on the table. What's on the table for us is a form of fascism or authoritarianism, a dictatorship of sorts, like Putin or Orban, where we theoretically have elections, but we know who's going to win, and we know who will always be the winner because they answer to no one. When Trump was in office, he did everything he could to undermine our institutions. He stacked our courts, he pardoned his friends, he undermined the free press, and used and continues to use propaganda networks to push his agenda. He created a world of us and them, of alternative facts. He refused to submit to the peaceful transfer of power, and he and his enablers staged a coup that ended in a bloody insurrection. And they are not done. They are passing laws every day to undermine our elections. Free thought is no longer encouraged. You tow the party line no matter how dishonorable or untrue it is, or you leave. That is it. That is all. And that is not democracy. That is a power-hungry group of self-dealers who let their own supporters die if it serves their agenda. Look at Florida. They just found one million expired COVID tests. The dissent is hid so they wouldn't be used and the infection numbers wouldn't go up. If we don't stop this party from regaining power, if we allow these undemocratic tactics to continue, if we don't stop our institutions and norms and rule of law from continuing to be undermined, we will break the thing we have always told the rest of the world to emulate. And once we've lost democracy to an authoritarian regime, an authoritarian regime that will now be backed by a nearly trillion dollar a year military budget, we can't just say, oh, whoops, we made a mistake. The die will have been cast, the choice will be made, and the consequences will be suffered. Bernard-Henri Lévy reminds us that all populist votes, all extreme right votes, and all fascist votes of the past were protest votes. But there is a way to protest that keeps you in the democratic sphere, and there is a way to protest that removes you from it. America is a strong country with strong institutions and a long history of democracy that for the most part has held up against those who would seek to destroy it. Its norms and guardrails were able to stave off the worst impulses of the previous president, but it didn't do as well as we would have hoped. We can see now, after the insurrection, after this past year of lies and the new laws to support those lies and the continued decay of the Republican Party, that what we have is far more fragile than what we originally thought. We allowed a man to come to power who didn't believe in truth, who didn't believe in the press, who didn't honor our institutions, who didn't understand world politics or the responsibility of the job he had been elected to do. It's more than a protest vote to put someone in charge of America who would threaten to remove an entire country from the face of the earth, who would commit human rights abuses against children at our border, who would ban an entire religion from our shores, who would refuse to be contradicted and would lie to his own people about a deadly virus to support his own mythology, and then would refuse to leave when he was voted out. What's even more terrifying is that one-third of the population still supports this man, and he is the de facto nominee for the 2024 presidential election. Our defenses might have been strong enough to stand against him once, but they will not be again. We have to rebuild them. Perhaps what happened to us with Donald Trump is just the shock to the system we needed, a wake-up call to show us how fragile this thing we call democracy is and how much work we have to do to make it better. There is a rising tide of authoritarianism around the world. 
Donald Trump and the Republican Party have clearly decided they are better suited to join that movement. We have to stand up to them in numbers that they can't believe and say absolutely not. We have to counter their anti-democratic grasp at power with a new, powerful, far-reaching pro-democracy movement that makes people feel safe and heard and strong, not by forcing them into top-down authoritarian leadership that lies to them and tells them what they want to hear and then turns around and does whatever it wants to do, but by giving them the government and system that actually works for them, that makes them feel more secure because they are more secure, a government that makes them feel heard so they don't need to go running to a strong man to feel seen. Monk spells it out when he says, for a long time, even if you didn't like government or you had problems with government, you could look and say, well, the standard of living keeps improving. Do I like these guys and what they're doing all the time? No, but I'm doing better than my dad was and my child will probably do better than me. So we're heading in the right direction. They must be doing something right. But now we aren't doing better than our parents were. And if things don't change, our kids will probably do worse than us. These are legitimate grievances that need to be addressed. Big changes need to happen. But that doesn't mean we have to abandon American democracy to do it. In times of great stress, people panic and put the wrong people in charge. People might think democracy is not working for them. They want to try something else. But if asked, most people wouldn't actually want power taken out of their hands and given to a government that's above the law. They might be mad at the government, but they wouldn't actively choose another type. You don't see people packing up and moving to authoritarian or communist countries because they're just so much more efficient. Oh, fuck these human rights. The trains run on time. No one actively chooses that. In fact, as Corey Shackey argues, that while democracy might be messy and slow and we're almost always dissatisfied with the process or the outcomes, the point is we have control over the outcomes. We can change the outcomes. And that seems to be a universal yearning. That every time people get the chance to choose this form of government, they do. And that's not something you just give away. That's the power of democracy and the luxury we have taken for granted for too long. People are right to feel that Washington is unresponsive, that it's not listening. But the changes we have to make are to the institutions themselves, not to the form of government. We need to fix how things are done and not allow democracy to be cast aside for something else. We need to get rid of the filibuster so senators are responsible to their voters and not to the party's leadership. We need to pass voter protections that stop gerrymandering and voter suppression so people's voices are heard and counted. We need to consider how the Electoral College works and if it's something we should be moving beyond. And we need to get money out of politics. Politicians should be working for the people, not working for their donors. They should be debating and passing legislation, not raising money for the next election. People have been driven towards populism because populism is simple. It makes everything feel easy and they feel like they're going to get everything they want. But populists, once they're in power, they don't really lead. They just consolidate more power until no one else is allowed to lead. People that say they would be fine with army rule wouldn't be happy waking up under army rule. People who say they want a strongman leader because it would make it easier and they wouldn't have to deal with all this bullshit election stuff would not actually be happy under a strongman leader. But the fact that so many people seem dissatisfied with democracy is an important thing to note. It's like when Donald Trump was elected and so many people were like, well, how bad could it be? I mean, how much damage can he really do? Well, the answer is really bad and a lot of damage. And that damage is ongoing. We got lucky that Trump and his team were so incompetent. We dodged a bullet, but that doesn't make us bulletproof. The weaknesses of our system have been revealed and the Republicans are currently taking advantage of those weaknesses all over the country. 
And if they get into power again, they will take advantage of the weaknesses to destroy the institutions from the inside. We won't dodge this bullet again because this time they know where to aim. The only thing left to do is to disarm them, to fight and beat them using the very thing they are trying to destroy, democracy. Alexis de Tocqueville said democracy was three things. One, the vote. Two, the rule of law. And three, a society that includes freedom of speech, a way of behaving in a civilized way with the other, and free debate that was out of the grasp of power. And in modern American politics, all three things are showing major signs of strain. We must use our vote, protect our institutions, behave with decorum and civility in the face of ignorance and incivility, and we must uphold the rule of law, which means holding everyone, no matter who they are, accountable for their crimes. Democracy is not doomed. We can fight for it. But the first step is to acknowledge that we have to fight for it, to recognize the reality of what can happen and accept what will happen if we don't all work together to fix what's broken. Once we've done that, we need to address the problems that drove people to populism in the first place. As President Biden said at the World Democracy Summit this year, democracy by the people for the people can at times be fragile, but it is also resilient and capable of self-correction and self-improvement. To paraphrase Barack Obama on the anniversary of the insurrection, the violent attack on our capital has made it clear just how fragile the American experiment in democracy really is. And while the broken windows have been replaced and many of the rioters have been brought to justice, the truth is that our democracy is at greater risk today than it was back then. Although Americans have historically been defenders of democracy and freedom around the world, we can't serve that role when the leading figures in one of our two major political parties are actively undermining democracy at home. If we want our children to grow up in a true democracy, not just one with elections, but one where every voice matters and every vote counts, we need to nurture and protect it. That responsibility falls to all of us. Nothing is more important. So that's it. Remember that American democracy is not promised to us, that it has been lost to others and it could be taken from us. Authoritarianism is on the rise and we must agree that we will not join that group. In fact, we need to decide that we, the majority of America, will be the leading voice standing against them. And we start that battle at home. Now go out and make the world a better place. Talk to everyone you know about the importance of passing the Freedom to Vote Act and standing against the party that stands against democracy. I love you guys for caring enough about democracy to spend this time with me. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.